0: I just got through running Light of Zaraxxus, the adventure in the Spelljammer box set, and I wanted to offer a video where I offer tips, tricks, and a quick review of this adventure that might help you out if you are going to be running this adventure yourself. This video is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons of Sly Flourish get access to all kinds of exclusive material, like the dedicated Discord server, a monthly Q&A, the City of Arches source book, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, and a whole bunch of other exclusive features. And to the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your support. So when I look at an adventure, I typically don't want to even review an adventure until I've actually had a chance to run it, which means I typically don't put out videos to review adventures until well after they've been released. In this case, Spelljammer has been out a while, and we've talked about it a lot, but I've actually run it for my group, I've actually got some ideas from it, and I wanted to offer those up in a video now that I've had my hands on it and actually run it myself. So I want to start off right away by offering my biggest tips for running this adventure. The first one is to find a good way to get the characters into the adventure itself. I actually found that by starting at level 5 and making it sound like the characters don't know anything about Spelljammer at all, it actually is not a real easy way to bring them into the game. So myself and Scott Gray and Jeff Stevens wrote an adventure called Stars Over Stormwreck available on the DMs Guild. You can find a link in the show notes below that links the Dragons of Stormwreck Isle starter set with the adventure Light of Xaraxxus and it connects the two together so that way you have a full level one to level eight adventure that gets the characters from the very beginning points of their career all the way through to the end of Light of Xaraxxus. In the beginning of Light of Xaraxxus, the characters board a Spelljammer called the Moondam, and pretty early on they get to the Rock of Brawl and then they switch to another ship. All the relationships that they have with the characters on the Moondancer break because they never actually go back again. I actually found it far more useful to stay on the Moondancer and make the Moondancer the primary spelljammer that the characters stay on throughout the entire adventure. I didn't find it was very useful for the characters to switch over from Captain Sartell's Moondancer over to Commodore Crux's ship. I actually thought it was more useful to bring Commodore Crux over to the Moondancer and that way they could maintain connection with the NPCs. It's this NPC connection, this maintaining of the connections of the NPCs that I think is vital to running this adventure and makes it much more fun at the end of the game when those characters are at risk during the big battle. So keep the characters on the Moondancer and make the Moondancer their primary headquarters while they're flying through space and let them maintain all of the NPC relationships that they build along the way. My third tip is to really maintain and reinforce the Flash Gordon style atmosphere of this adventure. This adventure has a huge scope and scale planetary stuff going on entire solar systems at risk it's really really big in scope and in scale and it's over the top and the kind of action and the kind of adventure and just the general zaniness of what's going on the characters are just bigger than life the situations are big in scale and scope it's really fun this isn't a dark and dirty and gritty adventure where you have this really small focus instead this is a grand of adventure big ships huge battles entire planets huge space whales going through the sky it's fascinating and fantastic, and don't ever lose that atmosphere while you're running it. My fourth trick, and this one's a little controversial, is to run the ship-to-ship battles in the narrative rather than trying to come up with some kind of system. One of the biggest complaints about the Spelljammer box set is that it really doesn't offer good, solid ship-to-ship combat rules in it. It offers some kind of fuzzier rules about how to maintain ship distance and the kinds of things that ships could do, but a lot of people were not happy with the kind of ship-to-ship combat rules that it had. I actually am a bigger fan of handling that kind of ship-to-ship combat in the narrative rather than trying to come up with some kind of system. It's far more interesting when the ships are closer, when characters are able to board a different ship, when they're able to use all the capabilities that they have as D&D characters, rather than trying to come up with a whole other system that you wrap on top of it. I'm not saying that the complaints aren't valid, I'm just saying I came up with a different way that worked for me, which was trying to handle the ship-to-ship combat in the narrative. Describe how they close the distance, describe how parts of the ships are getting damaged, While they're firing on each other, but don't worry too much about tracking hit points or doing damage or all that sort of thing. Make sure instead to get them close enough that the characters can do the things that the characters can do to engage in a fun battle where ships are fighting one another. My fifth biggest tip for this adventure is to give the characters agency in the ending. The ending that's written there actually kind of steers them towards one path. Oh, it turns out that this person you've been saving the whole time, that she's actually against you. Instead, give the characters options for how they want to handle the end of the game. Give them an option to convince Princess Zidale to do what's right. Give them options in the final battle that are hard choices about who they're going to save and how they're going to support this situation that might put their friends at risk. Give these kinds of options i'm going to talk more about this as i go through the chapters but thinking about how to handle that ending is pretty useful you tend not to have to worry about it till you get closer to the ending and so you don't have to worry about it ahead of time but once you're getting closer to the ending it's worth thinking about how you're going to make sure to give the players agency in steering the direction of the ending of the game Now I wanted to offer a short review of the Spelljammer box set itself now that I've had a chance to really use it at my table. And unfortunately, I cannot recommend this product for a few reasons. One is, it's pretty expensive, and you're really paying for a whole lot of cardboard. It's only 192 pages worth of content, instead of like the 300 pages of content that we got with books like Eberron Rising of the Last War, or even the 256 pages that we got with Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. I found both of those products to be far better than the Spelljammer box set, and I really wish that Spelljammer followed those formats rather than going with this three-book slipcase. There probably is some other reason to do a slipcase, but you look at it and you just know that a good amount of your money went into paying for the box, paying for the DM screen, and paying for all of these six covers for these three books, and the books are really thin and they're missing a lot of stuff. When you think about what Spelljammer could be, when you think about the vast amount of exploration that characters could do, this box set and the adventure Light of Xaraxxus were in a better place to run what I call a yam-shaped adventure, where in the middle of the adventure, the characters are given lots of options of different places that they can go, and lots of different adventures that they can go on, before it kind of narrows back down to that final conclusion. And instead, this is one of the most linear adventures I've ever seen Wizards of the Coast publish. It works really well. I enjoyed running this adventure and it was very, very easy to run. But it's also a very linear adventure in a setting that is anything but linear. The book doesn't have any options for different places that the characters can go, different systems that they can explore, other adventures that they might have. There's no opportunity in the adventure or really in the box set for the characters to go off the beaten path and go explore different places. There's not even random tables of different systems that the characters could explore. So I thought this was a really missed opportunity for a box set that looks as good as this does. The artwork is fantastic and the writing is really good. It's just unfortunate that it's too narrow in its scope for a setting that should have been as wide as anything they've ever produced before. So now I want to offer some tips and tricks for each of the individual parts of the adventure Light of Xaraxxus. I'm not going to talk about the summary of the adventure itself. If you picked it up, you already know what that is. Instead, I'm going to offer the tips that worked really well for my group when we were running that particular part. The whole adventure is broken down into four big parts. In part one, the characters get away from their homeworld and make it to the Rock of Brawl. In part two, they start to gather their allies and leave the Rock of Brawl as they're making their way to an alliance of people that might be able to help them out with the problem. In part three, they meet Princess Zidali and they start to build the coalition that they're going to use in order to fight the astral elves who have caused the whole problem of the adventure. And in part four is sort of the final battle, the final war, and the final confrontation with the Xaraxian elves in an attempt to save the world that the characters came from. Now I mentioned that this adventure is very easy to run and it really is. It's one of the easiest adventures I've ever had the opportunity to run. I've been running some other campaigns in parallel to this and I've had to do a lot more work to get those campaigns campaigns kind of on track and in the direction I wanted them to go and just digesting the material they have. The writing in Light of Xaraxxus is really, really efficient and really brief. And I found it very easy to do my preparation for this. The adventure is very good. It is too linear, but it's a fantastic adventure to run. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed how easy it was to prep and my players enjoyed it as well. So I still rank the adventure high, even though I rank the overall Spelljammer box set relatively low. So I mentioned before, in part one, getting your characters on board with this adventure, please check out the Stars Over Stormwreck bridge adventure that myself and Scott Gray and Jeff Stevens wrote. You can find a link to that in the show notes below. It's a great way to get the characters from their world, in this case, to Luskin. And then Luskin is the starting hometown where the events of of Light of Xaraxis take place. Now in part one, the characters meet Travis who's a bandit boss. He's kind of a, a villain and he's got his his hoodlums that are with him and they sort of block the characters from getting to the Moondancer. It was actually really interesting in my game that the characters managed to convince Travis that like, look the world is falling apart. We need to get out of here. We need to get on that ship. And he was clearly like trying to maintain control of his people, but he was scared as much as anybody. And they got him on as an ally. And it turned out that Travis was a fantastic second mate for the entire game that we ran. So it's kind of fun to take a guy that began as a jerk and sort of turn him over onto the side of the characters at the same time. It also brought a handful of his crew with him so that the ship was crewed with some of the people from Luskin. Gave the characters an opportunity to talk to people that were more like them. Now when the characters leave their planet, they the first thing that happens is they get attacked by a Xaraxian ship. This is a really good opportunity to drop some villains in here, particularly if any of them manage to get away, or if the characters manage to capture them but release them, then there's an opportunity to bring some NPCs into the fold early on that can connect with the characters later on. In 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 this case, the star priest who was running the ship actually was let go by the characters, but the priest found that because they let him free instead of executing him, he started to turn on their side, while his daughter, who was one of the people on the ship as well, became even more angry. And those two NPCs kind of interacted with the characters throughout the adventure in different ways to show how the Xaraxians feel about the characters and how their, their minds can be changed by the actions of the characters as well. So it's a good opportunity to drop some NPCs in early that the characters can interact with with the rest of the game. Again, I mentioned that when you have ship-to-ship battles like you do in the first part of this adventure, that running them in the narrative, getting those ships as close together as you can so that the characters can do things really worked out well for my game. I don't think anybody in my, in my game was particularly disappointed that we didn't have more sort of tactical ship-to-ship combat rules. Instead, it showed the big space battles that were going on, but they could always focus on what their characters could do. There's a nice fun dungeon delve at the end of part two, and where the characters are dealing with the Lucent Edict, this derelict ship. The idea of exploring an old derelict ship is a lot of fun, so I really enjoyed that part of the adventure. It's one of the few dungeon crawl parts of this adventure, so take the time to enjoy it. One thing to keep in mind is every one of the chapters in this entire adventure has sort of a cliffhanger ending. It's meant to act like an old school serial where you have these short sessions that are only like an hour or two long, and then you have this cliffhanger that leads to the next session. You don't have to run the cliffhangers exactly the way they are in the book. If you find that like too many battles is just getting boring, or you find that the your, your sessions don't end directly on one of those cliffhangers, you can sort of change things around, change them up, roll some random encounters and come up with different cliffhangers of your own, or change the approach of any one of the cliffhangers from something like combat to something like NPC interaction as well. So don't hang on too tight. The cliffhangers are a good option if you want to take it, but if you find that the pacing of your own game is different, feel free to either change them or add in your own cliffhangers where you want them. Now when the characters get to the Rock of Brawl, this is one of the few opportunities for the characters to really kind of go off on their own and explore things. But I know that running cities can be really hard. Anytime I'm running a city, I always get kind of lost about what directions I want to aim the characters, what kind of things I want to do. So a future tricks are make sure that they have a good place to buy and sell stuff. If they've picked up any loot, make sure that they have that you've spent some time ahead of time planning out an area where they can go and they can sell this loot. Players always love magic item shops, so if you can find a place where they can buy maybe a handful of small, randomly generated magic items, that could be a really good hook for the characters to get involved. Then look at each of the individual characters' classes and backgrounds and think about what kind of location might work well for them, and then highlight that location. Do a little bit of prep ahead of time so that you know that there are particular locations that particular players are going to be interested in this way you're not really spending too much time prepping a whole bunch of different places that the characters aren't going to bother to go to but you're focusing the city around the characters and the things that they're going to be interesting in that's a good thing to do in pretty much any adventure but it works particularly well when you're running the rock of brawl in light of zaraxxus now, I mentioned this is the chapter where the characters switch over from following Alana Sartell on the Moondancer to Commodore Crux on a whole different ship. And I just thought there was no good reason to switch ships. Instead, I had the Commodore Crux know Captain Sartell because they do know each other and that he convinced her to bring the characters along on their journey so that the way they could stay on the same ship. They could still have the connection to the same crew. Alana Sartell is still there, Flapjack is still there, they're not losing their connections to their NPCs. And that way, you can treat this, in a way, sort of like the Mass Effect video games, where while they're going on their journey, they're building more and more relationships with more and more NPCs, and those NPCs are on the ship that they're on. So they're picking up new ones as they go. And then what I found is, throughout the entire adventure, as I brought more NPCs on, it wasn't overwhelming. Even though they had 12 or 14 NPCs, they were introduced one, two, or three at a time. So the players got a chance to remember who they were and we use that in the final chapter of the game where those characters those npcs could be at risk during the big final battle the ruthless rygar encounter at the end of this part was actually pretty fun it's kind of neat that the star elves managed to send a mercenary to go and face the characters themselves he's a powerful villain he's kind of a unique interesting creature it was a really fun fight so i enjoyed that so use that ruthless rygar encounter about in the middle of this part and it works really well When the characters meet Topala and Garganale, that's a really fun kind of relationship between these two. They obviously had some kind of relationship in the past. Topala thinks it's really important to make sure that everybody knows that she's the one who broke it off. But I always liked this idea of these two characters who are kind of together and kind of not together. And that was something that I played through all the way to the end of the game. It was really a lot of fun. So that can be kind of a fun NPC interaction between these two that you can work with. I really like the NPCs of Garganale, the Vampirate, and Topola, this sage who can help the characters along. I also had Topala joined the crew so that she was along with them throughout the rest of the adventures as well. She was the one that helped lead the characters to Doom Space and eventually to Xaraxxus Space. So again, collecting NPCs as they go, building those relationships, really good time. This is also a really good time where you can ask each player to sit down and... Talk about what their cabin looks like on the ship. Give the players an opportunity to customize their own little place on this ship. They have their own cabin. They can decorate it how they want. They can put up trophies of their situation. It's a really good way to give them a home base, but that home base is traveling with them throughout this adventure. It's a really neat trick. It was very easy to do, and the players remembered it the whole time that we were playing. Part two is also a good point to start introducing the Githyanki. I think that the whole Githyanki illithid war that's going on can be a really interesting tapestry that surrounds this entire campaign. You, it doesn't overtake the campaign. The campaign is still going the direction that it's going. But the idea that you're always getting hints that the Githyanki are hunting down mind flayers, the mind flayers are expanding, and anytime if there's any influence of mind flayer activity, the Githyanki go and wipe it out. It could be really fun. It could be really dangerous. It could actually lead to a lot of other adventures that you could run around this. Part three is where we're introduced to Princess Zadali, who's a major NPC in this adventure and one of the big drivers. If you read ahead to the ending, you know that she actually starts to switch sides at the ending. If the characters get too much of a wind of this, they're going like, to throw her overboard. They're not going to pay any attention at all. So you need to make sure that it's important that she's critical to the characters succeeding in their adventures, that succeeding in their drive, that she's the one that can help save their planet. She could be a really interesting NPC if you play her and roleplay her by getting into her mind and getting into her head and thinking about. About what she's doing. It doesn't mean she won't necessarily betray them at the end, but it means that there might be an opportunity for the characters to convince her to do what's right, rather than do what's wrong, something her brother would never do. One real missed opportunity is that there is a moon in Doom Space called Arun, and it's actually where you meet Blastemoth, the gif, who might be doing some hunting on this moon. Rather than just fighting a bunch of small creatures, you could have an escalating battle where at the end, terrasks start bursting out of the ground around the characters while they're starting to run away. Arun Arun is a moon filled with Tarasks. who doesn't want to see that that's where we get into this high fantasy of this game They want to see multiple Tarasks. So can the characters face and fight multiple Tarasks? No, but can you have them rise up and start lumbering around and the characters go time to go? Yeah, and it's really cool and fun to see that and actually there was a fun way that I brought that in at the very end That I'll share so show off those Tarasks on Arun don't overdo the arena battle The whole arena battle part of part three really can get kind of tiresome and tedious and fighting a whole bunch of arena Arena battles only to then face uh, Prince Zealoth as he comes in on his dragon kind of feels like a big waste of time maybe only run one or two arena battles change them up maybe they don't face any arena battles at all but running like that series of different fights back to back can get really tiresome and then at the end it turns out it didn't matter anyway so you might want to restructure that part of it a little bit There's a whole little system for how to convince all the members of the fleet to get together to go and face the Zaraxians in Zaraxis space. I treated this much more as a roleplay opportunity than I did to kind of come up with any sort of system of who you've convinced and how many points you've got for convincing different people. I threw all that out the window and instead I had the players and the characters meet with each of the NPCs and convince them to join. And each one was coming at it from a different perspective and some groups wanted different things than others. The characters would learn about these while they're talking to other characters but then eventually they would figure out how to convince these groups some of them actually didn't go but many of the groups ended up going with the characters and forming this big fleet which is sort of the big pinnacle moment at the end of part three is your fleet is together and you're headed to zaraxxus space Now, at the beginning of Part 4, this can be another good time to bring the Githyanki involved. Maybe they have actual Githyanki allies who say, if you promise to stay out of our way when we're hunting Mind Flayers, we'll send a couple of dragons your way to join your fleet. That would be kind of a neat thing. I did that in my game, and it worked out really well. This is also a great opportunity, again, to bring in a Mass Effect-style respite before the big battle. Make sure to have a scene where the players and the characters can meet with all of the NPCs that they've met with. They can have sort of a a calm interaction with them while they're going through heading to Zaraxxus space. It can be their sort of last moments where they can really interact with the characters. And during this respite, you wanna make it clear to them that not everybody might survive this war. You really want to find a situation where the players and the characters can enjoy all of these connections that they built with all of these NPCs because some of those connections might not last because some of those NPCs might not last. So in my case, when I ran the great big final battle, I said that there were basically three missions that they could undertake while this battle was going on. So what I did is instead of having them run some great big space battle, is I gave the characters three missions that they could undertake while this great battle was taking place, but they could only actually choose two of them before time would run out. So this gave them an option of, okay, which two of these missions do we want to undertake? Knowing that the third mission we're not going to be able to take, and that's going to change the battle in some way. So an example of the three missions that I gave them. One of them was going after the Zadali capital ship, which was commanding all of the other ships. If they did this, the battle would go much more in their favor for everybody else, but they might miss the opportunity for one of the other two missions. One of the other missions was catching up with the ship that was bringing Princess Zadali after being captured in the arena, and stop that and rescue her before she reaches the Citadel, and has the potential to be sacrificed. Then the third one was to race ahead to get to the Citadel before the ceremony would take place, so that they could do, on the character's grounds rather than getting there as the ceremony was already beginning. So there were all these time-sensitive battles that took place. In my case, the characters decided to go rescue Princess Adali and then make it to the Citadel and say, it's up to the rest of the fleet to fight the battle. I did have one situation where Blastemoff, who they met on the planet of Arun, came to one of the characters during that brief moment of respite where they could talk to all the NPCs and said, I have a gift for you. I have this thing. It's a portable hole that's in the bottom of my hat. Don't unfold it, though, because it's actually not just a hole, it's connected to another portable hole to act as a sort of portal. Except I left it on Arun, and I don't know what's going on over on Arun, so I wouldn't unwrap this until you're ready. And then went wait a minute isn't that the planet where all the Tarasks woke up and he's like yeah and he's like you have a planet full of Tarasks under your hat and he's like I guess I do and they're like we're going to give it to this other crew take that to the capital ship and throw the hat at the capital ship and that was really fun so then the characters chose the other two the first thing they did was went to the prison ship that had Princess Adali on it and then while they were on that ship they actually saw the capital ship getting destroyed by Tarasks. and then Tarasks started flying through the space and destroying other ships too but on both sides because you can't really control it. So it was a fun way for them to see that the choices they made had a big impact in the battle that was going on. And seeing Tarrasques doing the breaststroke through space, chasing after the Moondancer, was a really fun scene. At the end of the war, I had a system that I set up to determine which NPCs were potentially at risk during the war. This was really a scary thing that I set up, so I definitely talked to all the players about this ahead of time to make sure that we were all on board with how this was going to work. And the idea was that at the end of this great big space battle, I would roll 2d6. That number is the number of threats that exist against the NPCs that the players know. And for each one of those threats, we would roll to see which NPC that threat was tied to. And then that NPC would have to make a death saving throw in order to see if they survived or not. In our case, we rolled 2d6 and ended up rolling 12. So that meant there were 12 threats against the 10 major NPCs that the characters knew. And we rolled out each one to see, did they survive or did they die? In our case, poor Gargamel did not make it, and nor did the dude that, whose name we can't even remember who ran the big arena fight. We didn't like him anyway, but Gargamel's death was actually pretty bad then one way that the characters could affect it is if they were willing to give a permanent magic item to an NPC that they liked, that and and that NPC got threatened, they could have advantage on the saving throw. So this was an opportunity for the characters to go through their inventory, find magic items they weren't using, give them to NPCs that they really liked and give them an extra chance at survival should, should they be threatened more than once. Then at the end of the battle, we rolled all this up to determine which NPCs died and which NPCs lived. It turned out, uh, I think eight of the 10 NPCs lived Two of the NPCs died, and it was an interesting way to see how the battle took place. Now, I also said that the characters got to pick an NPC altogether that was off the table, that that one would not be threatened. And of course, they picked Flapjack. No one wanted to see Flapjack die, and I didn't want to see Flapjack die. So we basically said Flapjack's off the table. Flapjack is not going to be threatened. Alana Sartell might be... Uh, Commodore Crux might be, all of the other NPCs that they met were threatened, Topola was threatened, and then they would roll these saving throws to see if they made it. Now, many of them had these advantages, so many of them were able to survive this attack. Now, another interesting thing that I did is I actually wanted to throw more hints of Mind Flayers in there. So I had this idea that all of the commanders of the Xuraxian ships actually had Intellect Devourers in their head, that prince that prince zealoth had agreed to put there by some elder brain that we haven't seen yet some elder brain that's out there managed to have an alliance with the xoraxians in order to let give him better command over his ships and they discovered this when they killed one of the commanders and the commander's head broke open and there was an intellect devour inside it was a fun way to kind of drop more mind flayer sort of lore in this game it's not in the adventure at all you don't have to run it that way obviously but it was kind of a fun little thing that i added that i really enjoyed now in the final battle, depending on what options the characters picked, when they get to the Citadel kind of gives them the option of getting there ahead of time so they have more chance to influence it. The characters in my game decided they wanted Princess Zidali to try to convince the people of Zaraxxus that her brother was evil, that she was okay because they, they spent the time to rescue her ahead of time, and that they should go to her side. This meant that the battle that the characters fought was a little bit easier because they didn't have to fight nearly as many Zaraxian soldiers in the end. I still had them fight the Zodar, but I removed the whole sort of deus ex mechina of the Zodar just wishes and everything is fine i got rid of that part and had him just battle this zodar which is this really powerful creature it was really fun and then in the middle of the zodar fight is when prince zealous shows up on his on his solar dragon and they have to fight him so it's a nice great big battle nice great big fight and I enjoyed it at the end. And then at the very end, the characters had the option. They realized that Princess Zidali was thinking, maybe I don't have to destroy Xeraxis. Maybe my brother had an idea here and we can try to work this out. And the characters are like, you can't, our planets are dying. And I had them talk to her and I had them roll persuasion checks and they convinced her. So she put on her ring and she said, I'll, I'll do the right thing. And she walked into the beam And it destroyed Zaraxxus and destroyed her. Now there's no leader of the Zaraxxians anymore. And now the sun explodes and the characters... And all of the Xaraxians that are left on the place jump onto whatever ships they have and go off. And now the Xaraxians are as nomadic as all of the races that they had made nomads themselves. It was a really interesting ending to that battle. But I wanted to make sure that the players had options to actually choose the direction that they, that they wanted to go, to choose the direction that they passed. And it was a pretty stressful moment. In our game, we, we paused for a minute and made sure that as players, we were all okay with what direction we were taking, what we wanted to have happen, and make sure that n- nobody was going to take control of this entire situation taken a direction we wanted to go. It was actually pretty stressful at the very end of the game but it worked out well. The ending took place the way that the players were happy and that worked out. And then of course I ran my one year later montage. We went through all of the characters to talk about what they had done later and it was fantastic stuff. One of them who was kind of very sort of distraught from all of the things that happened and wasn't really very stable thought that she was going to kind of go on an island and waste away and die and instead the Githyanki came to her and said we know that the Zoraxians had Mind flayer stuff going on. We want you to come with us and hunt down that elder brain. And she's like, I'll do that. We had one who said, I'm going to become a big hunter and go and find Tarasks. Now there's a bunch of Tarasks in space. We're going to go hunt Tarasks. And so he got his own ship and went off. All of them had just fantastic endings, really fun things that they did. That idea of saying, one year later, tell us what your characters do. What, where did they go? Some of them became crime lords. Uh, some of them went back and, and spent their time back on the island where they had come from. They all chose really, really fun endings. And it's just always that one year later montage is just one of my favorite parts of every campaign that. I run I learned so much about the characters I sort of get this really good closure it's just it's such a great way to go learning about what the characters do one year after the campaign is ending is one of my favorite tricks for running a really good campaign so overall I really enjoyed running Light of Xerxes. I thought it was very easy to run it was a nice big scope big scale adventure I do wish there was more of an opportunity to explore other things rather than just following this linear path but I found it very easy to run unfortunately I feel that as a spell jammer product overall i still wish i had more i wish there was more opportunity to explore more places more of a chance to kind of customize your ship go off and enjoy this huge scope and scale of what we had going but i really enjoyed light of xaraxis and if you already own the product and you are running the adventure i hope these tips helped you uh, run this adventure and make the most of it If you enjoyed this video and you want more tips like this, please consider subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter. You'll get a weekly RPG-related email sent straight to your inbox, plus a free Adventure Generator PDF. You can also support me directly on Patreon, where you get access to the dedicated Discord channel, a monthly Q&A, and a whole bunch of exclusive material. And you can pick up any of my books in the Sly Flourish bookstore, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DM's workbook, and the Lazy DM's companion. Thank you all very much. Have a great day, and get out there and play an RPG.